Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 to 24. Ephesians 4, verses 22 to 24. Begin reading from verse 17 to 24. This also is God's holy word. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, but that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have learned about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. May we go to our God together in prayer as we ask for his blessings in the reading and also the preaching of his holy word. Our almighty God, we thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you, Father, for your word is always true. Father, we pray in thanks that you have given us a right and true, a proper diagnosis of our state. That you have given us right guidance regarding what we ought to do, how we ought to live, what we ought to believe. Father, we pray that we would humble ourselves before you even as we receive your word this day. Father, we pray that you would guard us from the deceitful desires, the deceitful lusts that remain within us. Father, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would lead us on the right, the straight and the narrow way, the the narrow way that is Jesus Christ, that our trust would be in him, that our righteousness is none of our own, but entirely of him. And Father, we pray that we might live, that we might walk according to his ways. Father, we pray that you would guard your people from this deceit, being overcome, that we would not be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. And Father, we pray if any are here who do not know you, we pray, Father, for the saving power of your Holy Spirit to do a mighty work. Father, we thank you that you are the one who saves sinners, that you alone save sinners. And Father, we pray that you would open the eyes of the blind, that you would take away hearts of stone, give hearts of flesh. Father, we pray that your Son, Jesus Christ, would be exalted and that your servant would be humbled. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Have you thought about the, uh, the worst type of spill that you've had on yourself regarding clothing? Uh, Whatever that might be, whether it be uh, another person's vomit or, you know, you're you're fixing the car and you get this massive, you know, oil leak that splats on you. And you think about how you and I might say, this is horrible, but, you know, I'm going to keep wearing this because I want to see... I want, to, I want to turn people off, right? You ever remember as a child that the favorite activity you might have had, maybe it was only me, is to try to get your mom to have this scouring face and have her say, yuck. It's like, all right, I got mom. I got to gross out mom. This is great. 
And, and you ask yourself, why, why would someone continue wearing the oil stains, right? Why would someone continue wearing the kid's vomit? The answer is, none of us would. In the same way, we have in this passage a command of, of putting off, putting on. Like a soiled garment, we should remove those things. The, the old self, the old ways of thinking, the old ways of doing. No better than the soiled garment that you and I would willingly remove those things. Here, as we think about what the Lord has called us to be in Jesus Christ, he has called us that we might be created in the image of our God. In fact, recreated in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That the Lord calls you that you would be renewed in your minds. That the way that you would walk would demonstrate the righteousness, the holiness of our Lord Jesus Christ. That you would manifest his wisdom, his kindness, his compassion to those around you. That you would be light and not darkness. Here we think about this book of Ephesians. And this, this book of Ephesians presents our Lord Jesus as the Savior, as our Lord. And it speaks also about his beloved bride, the church, about what we are called to be in him. Think about the beginning three chapters of this letter. <clears throat> First three chapters speak about the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and what they have done on your behalf to save you from yourselves, to save you from destruction. And then in chapters 4 through 6, having been saved in Jesus Christ, chapters 4 through 6 tell us how we ought to live, how you and I ought to live. Here we see even in this passage, we, we have the destruction of, of putting off the old self, putting on the new, that we must no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. Perhaps another way to to reference this is we ask the Lord, save us. And the statement of save us from what? The answer is to save, save us from ourselves, save us from our sins. That he would purify a people for himself. So the truth that we see in this passage. Mortify your deceitful lusts that destroy your soul. And live your new life in Christ's image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. Mortify your deceitful lusts that destroy your soul and live your new life in Christ's image, in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. <clears throat> we have two simple points. The first is put off your old self, and second, put on your new self. So the first point, put off your old self, in verse 22. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Here we think to the beginning of Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 1, the Apostle Paul says, I, as a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is a high calling. It's a very high calling. That we would no longer continue in the ways of this world. And in verse 17 in this chapter 4, is no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And we've spoken in the past about how this is not Jew-Gentile. This is Gentile meaning the nations. This is, it's not saying we ought to live like Jews. It's saying we ought to live no longer as the nations do, as the world does. The Lord has called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. 
He saved us not so that we could continue living our own sinful lives. He saved us and he has called us that we might walk and live in holiness. That he has called us to new life, a better life. Perhaps some wonder. And here the Apostle Paul goes back. So no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And he summarizes that. Well, you ask the question, well, how do Gentiles walk? We have that earlier in verse 17 and following. They walk in the futility of their minds according to a darkened understanding. Their willful ignorance results in alienation from the life of God. So the life that God has for us, the, God that, the life that God desires for us, a willful ignorance says, I refuse those things. I don't know those things, nor do I want to know them. In fact, I reject them. There's a hardness of heart, a, a callousness of conscience. And there is, in the judgment of God, a giving, a giving over so that the Gentiles are guided by their sensuality that leads to greater impurity without restraint. It's very interesting that when you read the second half of Romans chapter 1. If the world says that God's word is so false, why is it that when you read Romans 1 and God's description of the Gentile world, why is it that they follow that script so closely, so accurately? The truth is, they do. This is the way that we would live outside of Christ. This is what we would be. Here we have a description, a simple one, of a garment putting off. It's a simple removal of an old, dirty, a sweaty garment. This put off is not a repeated action, but it has implications on your present life that you put off. You think about the former manner of life in verse 22, which belongs to your former manner of life. The old self is the unregenerate. It's the carnal self. It's the self that refuses God. It's the self that defies and denies God. This is the self that is marked by, you take out your ID, your driver's license. It's marked by your birthday. That's your birth in Adam. That you... You are reminded of your physical birth, being a descendant of Adam and Eve. In contrast to that, you have your spiritual birth, made new in Christ. This old self of yours is clearly dead and no more. The scripture addresses this very principle of this death, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Have any of you thought about what people will say and write about in your obituary? To some degree, it's as if we have our own obituary. When you become a Christian, the old person is dead. Satan can accuse all he wants. Hey, wait a minute. Aren't you, aren't you the person who has committed these sins even today and yesterday? And we can point to the obituaries and say, hey, listen, 
When I repent, I write my own obituary. That person is dead. That person from yesterday is dead. Saying you can accuse all you want. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God separated those sins from me. You can accuse all me all you want. In Christ, I have true forgiveness. I've, I've forsaken those sins. The first, and every time that you profess Christ, you are necessarily testifying that your old self is dead. That old person, I don't know who that person is because I am created new in Jesus Christ. Created anew by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus Christ, you live. Here we think about the the prevalence of, of deceit in the former life. It belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Think about this deceit. The deceit of Satan and of the world. 2 Corinthians 11.3 But I am afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. Here, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the Corinthians and he's pointing to Eve saying, there's something we ought to learn by the fall how Eve was deceived. The, the right and the true path is simple and pure. That's, that's devotion to Jesus Christ. There's simplicity. There's complications in what Satan has presented. Here, this deceit has everything to do with Satan. John 8, 44. Jesus, getting into a disagreement with the Pharisees, he speaks about lies. He says to these Pharisees, you are of your father, the devil, and, you, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Here we ask ourselves, wait a minute. Jesus said that Satan was a murderer. How did he murder? When did he murder? You realize he murdered Adam and Eve with his lies. He deceived them. They believed it. They sinned. And in that they died. So Satan was a murderer. That's the very description. We think about the deceit of sin. How do you like being told? You are deceived. Or you are being deceived. Are you insulted? that I would imply, let alone claim, that you have been or are being deceived. I sure hope not. Because here, I'm presenting a rule. Whenever and wherever sin is, sin is present, deceit, whether by Satan, the world, or by yourself, must be. Whenever there's sin, there must first be deceit. There will be a deception. Satan comes in there. Is God really that good? He's holding back from you all the good things. I mean, isn't this, isn't this the lies that come our way? His promises aren't really sure. They're, they're not really dependable. He, he hasn't really provided you that which is generous and good. He's shortchanged you. See, all that deception that goes on. And then 
the decisions we make as a result of that. Regarding this deception, Hebrews 3.13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is deceitful. It deceives. When you think about how the Apostle Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 7, verse 11, he says, Sin, taking the opportunity through the commandment, deceived me. Regarding coveting. What the Apostle Paul is saying is, the fact that there's a commandment, even the commandment of God, God's law, sin uses that and deceives you. Simple illustration. Imagine you have a beautiful, fancy hotel on a lake. And a, a new general manager comes and he thinks, hey, uh, people who have these balconies might be tempted to fish uh, off their balconies in the lake. And that would leave all kinds of like fish and smelly stuff. So we should put signs up that say, no fishing from your balcony. When before, they had no, no issues with fishing from the balcony, and then they put the sign up, and then people see that, and say, well, there must be a, this must be a good fishing spot, and they start fishing, right? This, this is what commandments, this is what laws do to us. They tempt us to sin. When you think about the hardening that comes by the deceitfulness of sin, have you ever said to yourself, it can never happen to me. No, it can never happen to me. If you're saying that, you've just volunteered to be Satan's next tragic fall. You must be able to say, it can happen to anyone. It can also happen to me. If you've ever said, it can never happen to you, there's something wrong. Have you heard these words? Peter Peter was in disagreement with Jesus. I can tell you who's right. I don't need to tell you any more than that. You disagree with Jesus, you're wrong. Jesus makes these statements. He gives warnings to Peter and he says, though, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. How did it turn out for Peter? It can never happen to you that you be deceived. In a situation gone bad, how ready, how ready are you to ask yourself this question? What is your own culpability? Think about the deceit of our own hearts and our desires. The prophet Jeremiah 17.9 warns, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things. What does the world say? Trust your heart. Follow your heart. Don't be held back by God's law. Follow, just follow your heart. I mean, is that in contradiction, blatant contradiction to, to what the word of God says? The heart is deceitful above all things. Why, why are you trusting your heart in every situation? When you think about our desires, our lusts, they deceive us so that our wants become our needs. You want something, and then your desires, your lusts convince you, no, 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 you don't want that, you actually need it. Your lusts deceive you so that when what you desire becomes your right, 
No, no, I have a, I have a right to that. Your pride deceives you so that you are righteous and everyone else is a sinner and a liar. The scripture says, indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. That you might say, I'm the only one righteous and everyone else is wrong. But you realize the hardening of sin gets us to that point. Think about church discipline. Think about how church discipline happens. The whole church, the whole congregation is saying, this person is in sin. And the person is literally saying back, you're all wrong. I'm the only one who's right. Is that, what's, is that what hardening of sin results in? Perhaps a good test of that. Regarding the deceitfulness of sin. Are you able to listen? Are you still open to the advice and the warnings of others? In any situation, in any situation gone bad, are you able to see the good that God is doing? Oftentimes, think about being sinned against. And we, it's easy for us to say, hey, I've been sinned against. Everything is that person's fault. Everything is his fault. But then we think, wait a minute, how am I responding to that sin? Because sometimes our, our response to being sinned against is actually worse than the sin against us. But our pride, our, our, the deceit of our heart per persuades us otherwise. Here we think about this corrupt through deceitful desires. We have an inverted structure in the former life. This inverted structure is the backwards way in which your desires and your lusts become the ruler. And your mind, your reason, your conscience become handmaids to those desires. So this is the old self. This is how the carnal person lives, is that lust and desires dictate everything. They're the ones that call the shots. You think about how that worked for Eve. Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate, and she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. So this was, this was actually happening you ask, well, wait a minute. Eve didn't actually eat yet of that fruit. She hadn't yet sinned. We, we don't know exactly when the transition was. Maybe, maybe it wasn't an instantaneous thing. But you look at, there's three, three statements made there. The tree was good for food. So this is her reasoning. The positive column for why I should eat the fruit. We don't see about the negative column of why she shouldn't. But the positive column she has there, the tree was good for food. You realize that this was an outright rejection of God's warning. He said, if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Think about what food is. Food is something that nourishes your body. And if you eat of it, you will surely die. Then it's not nourishing your body. It's killing you. So that it was an outright rejection of God's warning. 
this is good for food. This is foolishness. And then it was a delight to the eyes. It looks good. This was entirely subjective. And then you think about the last statement, that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Satan's lie was this, you'll be like good, knowing good and evil. This is entirely buying the lie of Satan. Taking Satan's lie and saying it is truth. The tree was desirable to make one wise. You realize that Adam and Eve were created upright by God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. They already knew good and evil. Conscience, their conscience was written on their hearts. Fallen man still has a conscience. It's fallen. It's a fallen conscience. They knew good and evil. It was written on their hearts. Here, we think also of the effect of the deceitful desires in your life. It says, and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Corrupt, or rather, being corrupted. Being corrupted. Think about a process of ruin or decay. Imagine a driving, driving through on, on the roads. I don't know about you. I've seen a lot of roadkill recently. And the moment this animal gets hit and it dies, the process of decay starts. And you think about how when we give in to our deceitful desires, this is giving in to that process of decay. And the end result will be destruction. James addresses this very process. James 1, 14 and 15. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. So... James is saying, lust, sin, death. This is, this is the runaway train. Not giving in to your lusts, or giving in to your lusts leads to sin, and sin, sin eventually brings forth death. Do, do you want to be on this destination? It's, it's like Proverbs speaks about the adulterous woman, and the path to her home is the path that leads to death. It's, it's a downward path. It's a muddy, slippery path. And, and they're saying, hey, nobody returns from there. No one goes home from that path. Is this the path that you want to be on, living according to the old self? Well, why are you saying my old self was so bad? This, these are the warnings of our Lord. So this is the first point, put off your old self. We have the second point, put on your new self. Verses 23 and 24. And be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have the description of putting a garment on. So taking a dirty one off, putting a new one on, putting on the new self. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. This is as if we're putting on the very righteousness of our Lord Jesus. Isn't that the very description that we have in the Psalm 132? Let your priests be clothed with righteousness. What is the gospel other than 
you can exchange your filthy garments for the perfect robe of Christ's righteousness. You can go trade your ugly plaid uh, pleated front suit, and then you can, you can get the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is our Lord Jesus who clothes you with salvation. It's a free offer of the gospel that, that we who have no righteousness of our own can be given true righteousness by Jesus Christ. Part of the work of the Holy Spirit is helping us realize, you know what? This law is too high. I can't jump that high. And the, the good news of the gospel is not, well, Jesus will help you jump higher. No. The good news of the gospel is Jesus lived the perfect life on behalf of sinners. And the death that he died on the cross, he died in your place. He, he died to pay for your sins. Are you believing this gospel? If you walk away saying, I just need to try harder, I think you're missing something. Christ's righteousness freely given to you. But I got to contribute something. No, you, you've already contributed enough. You contributed your sin. And Jesus freely offers to you forgiveness. There, there's no better offer than this. You cannot, you cannot make a custom deal. There's no deals being made. God offers you eternal life. Forgiveness of sins. There's, no, there's only a take it and, or leave it. The gospel is that way. You cannot set your own terms to it. Here, we think about this image or likeness of God in man. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. I think back when I was a child. Whenever I heard this being created in God's image. I tell you, I, I had the view wrong. I, I thought it meant that God was one who walked uprightly. He had arms and legs like us. And I thought, this is what it means to be created in the image of God. But God is invisible. He has no body. You're right, Jesus has a body, but he didn't always have it. Before, in theory, before 0 AD or 0 BC, Jesus had no body either. So being created in God's image, we're not distinct from the animals because we walk uprightly. Uh, well, they, they walk on all fours or crawl on the ground on their bellies. No, we're created in God's image because we're told in the scriptures here that we have righteousness and holiness. You look at the parallel passage in Colossians 3.10. Colossians 3.10, have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. So we have knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That's what it means to be created in God's image. Animals. Animals are not created in God's image. So when, when secular people start to reason, wait a minute, what is the value of a human? If, if you were driving and you see this massive deer or a moose, and you see this human, and you, you can run over one or the other, which is of more value? And they're thinking, well, that's nature. This is an animal. We don't want to hurt the animal. And the, the animal is also 1,000 pounds. Well, 
That, that's a lot more than a human weighs. But here, that moose, it's going to damage your car really badly. But that human is creating the image of God. The animal is not. We think about death. We think about death, and we, we hear about death all the time. When, when sinful men try to assess the value of life, they're looking at all the other things about the person. All the other things. Whatever those other things are. I'll tell you, none of those things are of any significance compared to the fact that the person who dies is created in the image of God. How much money they made? How many people liked them? The color of their skin? Those are all immaterial. The person is created in the image of God. That's the only reason why there's value. That's the reason why murder is wrong. It's a despising of the image of God. Here we think also about the image of God in this particular way. Modern man falsely claims that we descended from animals, from the monkeys. They exchange the glory of the invisible God. And ex instead, they receive reptiles and birds. <laughs> Is there any surprise that when secular man says that they tell their children, they tell their students that they des descended from monkeys, they descended from beasts. Is there any surprise that these people would then act like beasts? There's no surprise about that. And instead, the word of God teaches us that man is created in the image of God. So live by Christ's standard. Live according to the new life that you have been given in Jesus Christ. You realize... This rule is always true. You become what you worship. Look at, look at any of the, the idolatries of the Greeks and the Romans. You look at all their temples. You look at all the sinful activities that go on in those temples. You, you look at Corinth. You look at Ephesus. Right? Ephesus had Diana. Corinth had um, uh, was it Aphrodite and Apollo. Uh, any of these places where the Greeks and the Romans had temples to their gods, immorality took place there. You become what you worship. They worship those things. They believe these things about their gods, and they lived according to those ways. If you are one who worships Jesus Christ, who is the light, that you and I are called to walk in the light. We're called to leave our old ways behind. This requires that... We put, that we put off the old self it requires the renewing of the mind. Interesting that this putting off and putting on describes non-repeated actions. That they're, they're not to be repeated. They're like a one-time deal. But there is a, the implication of a continual effect on your life. But the renewing of the mind, this is a present. It's a continual action. But we see that it's also a passive statement to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. God, God is the one renewing your minds. And this renewing of the mind is needed for right knowledge. Meaning that your old values, your old standards, they have to change. The old loves, the old hates, 
Yeah, it's just in the Christian life there are hates. You're supposed to hate your own sin. At least that much. We have new hates. We have new loves. We love the things that God loves. The things that the world highly esteems, the scriptures say, that God despises, vice versa. Here, there's the need to go back. So this inversion where the lust was king and it governed and used your, your mind, your reason as a handmaid, it needs to be flipped around. That conscience, that your mind, your reason, that they govern. No, no, no. My mind says, I'm to submit to the Lord Jesus, who indeed has purchased me by his blood and raised me up anew. These are standards I have to follow. And my lusts say, no, 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 no. We, we got to do what we want. It feels good. No, 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 no. This is the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians 9, saying he beats his body into submission. This is what an athlete does. Right? An athlete beats their body into submission. At 5 a.m., the athlete says, oh, I want to sleep. And the mind says, no, you must train. You must run. You must do whatever it is to, to, to be the right athlete. You think about, oh, physical training is of some value. But the Apostle Paul tells Timothy that godliness is of eternal value. Here, discipline is needed to become a world-class athlete. Greater discipline is needed in your life in Jesus Christ. Perhaps some people have this question. What is this difference between righteousness and holiness? How to distinguish? Some of our forefathers in the faith would say that holiness is the first table of the law. It's commandments 1 through 4. And righteousness is the second table of the law. Commandments 5 through 10. Huh? Some people want to think about it this way. Perhaps we could also say that holiness is being set apart by God. When we say God is holy... He's completely different. There's the creator and there's the creature. And God is the creator. And he's completely different than his creation. Distinct from the world. God sets you apart. And that you're distinct from the world. Righteousness is obedience to God's law. So you can think about holiness. is no longer a life given over to impurity. Holiness is being set apart. Not impurity, but holiness. Not following the darkness of your mind, but righteousness is obedience to God's law. Obedience by faith. Here, you can even think about this in terms of Christ's role of prophet, priest, and king. That prophet proclaims knowledge, the will of God for your salvation. So that's prophet, is knowledge. We have the priest, He's the one who is holy. And the king is one who rules in righteousness. Here, we also have to say that justification and sanctification are always together. Meaning that someone can't claim, I've been justified by Christ, but I'm going to live however I want. I live by my own standards. But it's okay. Jesus and I, he and I are cool. We're fine. No, we can't have that. One is justified in Jesus Christ, meaning that the priests that are clothed with righteousness, the saints shout for joy. 
that God is also going to be the one who purifies our hearts by faith. So that the very robe of righteousness that we put on, who is Jesus, that our lives would reflect that. That your lives would reflect this. He who is clothed with Christ's righteousness also loves to walk according to his truth. That we would delight no longer in our old ways, but then we would long for his new ways. That we would live in joyful. That we would live in glad submission to our Lord Jesus. That when before we saw Jesus as the world did, hey, uh, Jesus is the one who robs you of all of your fun. Eh, you ever hear this? Hey, remember when I went overseas? This is with married men. Hey, Frank, you're a young man, you're single. You ought to have some fun. You know what? I, I, I just don't see that as how the Lord has called us to live. And there was the concern. Frank, you're not going to tell our wives about this, are you? <laughs> because we might get in some trouble. Hey, listen, buddy. If you think me telling your wife what you did overseas is going to get you in trouble, you're actually in big trouble. Think about your relationship. You're going to hide these things from your spouse? This is horrible, this idea. No, no, we cannot think like that. We cannot think like that. Here, we, we look at the old way then. We compare the old way to the new way. The old way was the knowledge. The knowledge was deceit and lies. We think about what led you in the old way. It was your deceitful lusts that was the, the guide, the, the lead for your life. And then the path was corruption and decay. And then the end is the destruction and death. That is the old way. But then we have in Jesus Christ the new way for you where, where knowledge is the truth. The truth of God's word. The lead and the guide of your life is the renewed mind. The renewed mind that willingly obeys God's word. The path that you're on is righteousness and holiness. That is life and peace. And the end, the end is heaven and eternal life. Is there any comparison about the old way and the new way? Is there any doubt that the new way of Jesus Christ is far, far better than your old life. Here, we think about the promises that the Lord has given us. He's saying that you and I must give up the old life, give up the life of deceits. Instead, you and I ought to see our true need for Jesus Christ, that his way is perfect, that he is perfect. That he indeed is the one who sets you free from the bondage to sin and death. And that you and I might continue to live according to these ways. That he saves us by a great deliverance. And that his desire is that we would have plentiful life. That in him he gives us true joy. Despite the opposition to the world, uh, from the world, despite the mockeries that come, despite people not understanding how you desire to live, that we would be those who say, no, Jesus is the one who has shown us the right way, that he is our true hope, and he has offered us eternal life, that we would live according to the hope that he has given us, because he has saved us, he has bought us,
He is the one who washes us clean. Let me go to our God together in prayer. Our Lord God, we thank you, Father.